I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 100 days into his administration, President Biden has finally addressed a joint session of Congress, sort of, with a State of the Union address, sort of. The room was largely empty. There were lots of masks, people going in and out. We will cover all of that. Senator Cruz, rather, was there in the room. Senator, any reports? Senator? Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. I have I have often been called boring but radical. And Senator, I guess you've been getting a lot of that these days. You you had the the finest moment of the night. I'm sort of damning with faint praise because that State of the Union address was unbearable to watch. And I could I really empathized with you in the room because the TV cameras caught you front and center dozing off during the speech. Well, look, the whole thing was 63 minutes. I, I, I'm amazed that I didn't sleep more during the speech. Uh, I mean, I mean, it was so it was actually on this podcast, what, a month, two months ago that, that, that we actually coined the three word summary for the Biden administration of boring but radical. It was on verdict. Right. And that prediction had proven right. And in fact, going into the State of the Union, I did a bunch of preview interviews where, where reporters say, okay, well, what's tonight going to be? And I said, it's going to be boring, but radical. I didn't realize just how true that was. So like in both directions, in both the boring side and the radical side, the radical didn't surprise me. It was, I, I was trying to stay awake 
And and yeah. it, you know, actually, one of the reasons why it was so boring. So there's a weird aspect of State of the Unions, and and actually, you and I talked about this last State of the Union, which is there's kind of a game Republicans Democrats play. If it's your party. You're popping up like pop goes the weasel on every sentence, like, yay, yay, yay. And what's interesting is is if you're in the out-of-power party, so if you're a Democrat when Trump's president, if you're a Republican when Obama or Biden's president, a State of the Union is, is, is often kind of a complicated thing because you're listening to each sentence and try to evaluate, do I clap? Do I not clap? Do I stand? Do I not stand? And you know, look, the Supreme Court justices, the generals, they kind of clap and stand for nothing other than the beginning of the speech and occasionally America is good. Um, And then there's sort of statements in between. This was bizarre. It is the only, this is the now the ninth State of the Union or that kind of speech that I've been to. There was virtually nothing for any Republican to clap at. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was strange. There were whole swaths of, I don't know, seemed like 10, 15 minutes where we're just sitting there and every word out of Biden's mouth is directed only to Democrats and it's only Democrats yeah. clapping. And, and he, he wasn't even throwing like a tiny fig leaf trying to, trying to bring anyone together, trying to, and that's part of why I nodded off and, and, and you know, helped the internet go crazy last night. Yeah. So in terms of the big takeaways for people who, like you, were nodding off, not, not in the Capitol, but in, in their own homes. What are we supposed to make of this? Because I, I almost wish that Biden were more overtly radical, that he were more exciting because he would be calling more people's attention to what he's trying to do. So yeah. what is he trying to do? What is going to get done? And do Republicans have any hope? Well, Michael, your point is, is really important, that, that, that the boring is, is by design. It's a mask. Yeah. It's a facade. It's designed to hide just how extreme the policies are that are being implemented. By the way, interestingly enough, I also saw screenshots of at different points Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi both nodding off. Um, and, and I guess <laughs> Mitt Romney was also uh, filmed nodding off. And so I, I saw Mitt on the floor today and I said, Mitt, man, you, you and I apparently need to get more sleep. And uh, – <laughs> And he laughed and said, I wasn't sleeping. I was looking at my phone. It's like, okay. Me, I was sleeping. It's <laughs> not was, a great I excuse. Was, <laughs> yeah, I was genuinely like, I was nodding off. And, uh, you know, uh, but look, if you look at what this administration has done, the hard partisan nature of it is remarkable. Uh, they start with a so-called COVID relief bill, get zero Republican votes in the House, yeah. zero Republicans in the Senate. That's actually hard to do. I mean, last year we did five COVID relief bills that were overwhelmingly bipartisan. I mean, they made the decision. They didn't want any Republicans. They wanted a hard partisan bill. Infrastructure, their their $2.6 trillion infrastructure bill, as written, will get zero Republicans. And and again, which is hard to do because there are a lot of Republicans that care about infrastructure. But Biden's bill, 5% of the bill is roads and bridges. I I mean, it really is absurd. And, you know, everything on earth they're going to tax. Every tax is going up. I mean, that's there. We're looking at trillions and trillions and trillions in new taxes. The brazenness of it, you know, you think about the speech last night, not a word about the crisis at the border that his policies have created. 
by the way, in the midst of the speech, I don't, I don't know how much of this made it on TV, but Lauren Boebert, who's, you know, a, a new freshman House member and someone I like and helped get elected and supported, and she's a fireball. But but yep. midway through the speech, she pulled out of her bag a, a reflective emergency blanket, uh, like like the children are wrapped in, 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 in the cages on the border, and she wrapped herself up in the reflective emergency blanket. I got to tell you, Kevin McCarthy is sitting in front of her and, and turns and just glares with dagger eyes. Uh, I was doubled over laughing, uh, but, it, but it was an interesting sort of quiet protest uh, of, of the hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants that, that Biden is ignoring and, and the crisis that he's created that, that he's ignoring. You know, not a word about the massive debt, not a word about, right. you know, not a word of graciousness to President Trump and Operation Warp Speed. I mean, he just crowed about the vaccines without acknowledging that he laughed at, at Trump when, when he said that we would have a vaccine by the end of the year. And that's, of course, exactly what they did. So I, I thought the substance of it, if you actually hired an actor to, to give the identical speech but in an angry partisan tone. Yeah. People would have been shocked. I mean, it, it really is, it, it, it's almost a theatrical thing of having these, you know, soporific tones, which, which as, as, as you know, being, being a Yaley, soporific is an underused term, but, but it literally <laughs> means putting people to sleep. Um, and last night, that was a literal use of the word. Yeah. You know, this has been... Biden's great advantage, certainly in the last several years, which is if you just read the text of the speech last night, that would have, I think, put a lot of Republicans on their guard. If Kamala Harris, for instance, gave that speech, I think it would have put a lot, lot of people Very on the defensive. But because it's it's Biden, it lulls everyone into this false sense of security. Uh, there was, however, one moment I noticed of quasi almost bipartisanship, and it was the moment when Joe Biden began to take ownership of a major Trump policy, or at least a, a presumptive Trump policy, which was getting out of Afghanistan. And what was very curious was in that room, the Democrats applauded, the Republicans weren't applauding, with a couple of exceptions. Yeah, when, when President Biden said we're going to pull out of Afghanistan, there were, that, that I saw only two Republicans who applauded. I applauded. Uh, and Mike Lee applauded. And, and the rest of our side of the aisle sat there stone-faced uh, just looking at him. And, and, and I think that's unfortunate because I think this is an area where President Trump was right and he was leaning in to, to end the endless wars that, that we've been in. Afghanistan, it's been 20 years and, and it's time yeah. to bring our sons and daughters home. That doesn't mean we stop killing terrorists and defending our nation, but we don't need to be on the front lines of a battlefront for generations. And you're now literally having, having soldiers serving on a front that their parents served on. And, and, and that, yeah. that, that's a pretty strong sign that we've been there too long. Yeah, th this issue uh, is, is one that I think shows the way that the GOP, you know, is kind of transforming from the way that it once was and, and the way that Biden is transforming. Let's not forget the decision to restart the war in Afghanistan to really surge the troops there. That was an Obama-Biden yep. decision back when, when President Obama came into office. But, but other than that one brief moment, it, it did seem extraordinarily divisive. And then there was the, the visual fact that 
you had the masks in the room. You had Joe Biden, who was very much uh, pushing this idea of, of public health crisis and we're not allowed to go back to normal. And everything about it just felt so eerie. Uh, when, when are we going to be able to get back to normal? How are we going to be able to push this unified government to get us back to normal? Look, I, I thought there was an enormous amount of political theater. Now, listen, State of the Union, there's, there's always political theater. But, but when it comes to COVID and masks, every person in that room has been vaccinated. And, and yeah. we're also spread out so we were far away from each other. I actually think it's idiotic that anyone was wearing a mask. And, and there was a little moment at the beginning of the, the speech, I don't know if you saw, when Biden goes up there, he walks up in his mask, because of course he does. And then he turns and looks to Nancy Pelosi and asks permission before he removes his mask. It, it, it may oh have goodness. been the most beta moment for a U.S. president in history. <laughs> and, and it was just pitiful. And, and look, I got to tell you, I was conflicted on what to do. So for, I think, three weeks now, I have not been wearing a mask on the Senate floor. Um, yeah. I and, you, a, and you've made a big point about this. There have been reporters who have said, please put a mask on. And you've said, you're more than welcome to walk away from me, but I've been inoculated. Hey, you know, and, and listen, I'm not a zealot on mask issues. I, I wore a mask for a year on the Senate floor. This is a dangerous disease. I thought take reasonable precautions makes sense. But in the Senate, it, it's every person or virtually every person uh, has been vaccinated. And it doesn't make it. I believe in vaccines. And, and so it's interesting. I just so Rand Paul has not worn a mask throughout. He was kind of the lone in the heat of the pandemic. No, he got the disease. So he said, look, I got the disease. I have have antibodies, which is reasonable. But Rand was the only one of 100 that wasn't wearing a mask for months and months and months. And then after everyone got vaccinated and, you know, Michael, you'll remember, I actually delayed getting vaccinated. So they yep. offered us the vaccines, I think, early January. And I didn't think it was right for, for members of Congress to cut in line. I mean, I'm yep. relatively young, relatively healthy. I, I get that a whippersnapper like you doesn't think I'm that young. But, but you, know, <laughs> you know, compared to my colleagues in the Senate, I'm, I'm still in short shorts and wearing a beanie. That's true. And you, you remember when the polio vaccine came out. So, you're, you know, you're well acquainted <laughs> with all these vaccines. And so, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to wait and let seniors get the vaccine. I'm going to let first responders get the vaccine. It's not right for me to cut in line. And I did that until about March. And at March, there had been tens of millions of vaccines. The people who were at highest risk had had the opportunity to get the vaccine. And then I said, OK, I'll get it. So I've gotten it now. And so a couple of weeks ago, I just stopped wearing the mask. So what's funny, two, three days, I stopped wearing the mask, walk on the Senate floor, and nobody notices like I was doing it for two, three days, and it was just a nothing burger. And then finally, one reporter for CNN, like, sticks a camera in my face and is like, wait, wait, you're not wearing a mask. Why are you not wearing a mask? And I said, because we're all vaccinated. And actually, this reporter says, well, I'm not vaccinated. I'm like, well, that's your choice. Like, like, <laughs> and the you elevator consider closed, getting a vaccination. The elevator closed, and I remember thinking, like, okay, if you're choosing not to get a vaccine, you can do that. But what right yeah. do you have to insist that the rest of us must wear masks because you've chosen not to get a vaccine? You don't right. have a right. Like, it is available to you. And and so I have not been wearing it for two, three weeks. I did wear my mask last night, and, and, and I, I sort of struggled with the question. But, 
Pelosi is running this, you know, military installation. Do you know that she is fining House members, fining them if they don't wear a mask on the floor? And she is insisting that House members go through metal detectors. As, and as idiotic as it is, because she's afraid some Republican is going to be packing heat. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And thankfully, the Senate is not that idiotic. And they actually, they took down Childish. the metal detectors or whatever. Because like when I walked in, we didn't go through metal detectors. But I went ahead and wore the mask on the House floor because that's sort of what they're doing there. But, but, but I felt pretty sheepish for doing so because it was all theatrics. There is something deferential and conservative about saying, well, I'm in this chamber now. It's being run by this crazy lady, so I guess I'll follow the rules. Uh, but, but that's yes, pretty I, much exactly I what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, there, and it, it is really nice to see that you, you've taken this very sensible approach, I think, from the beginning. And I, I don't think that people on either side can call you reckless about the masks or particularly zealous oh, sure about they it. can. But the, <laughs> well, you're, they, they certainly will, regardless. <laughs> the, the only question is, now, there are so many layers to this question. And I think even a lot of conservatives are very confused. What do we do here? It's not just, I, I, I recognize the pun of many layers to the masks, but you do. You have some people who say, we need to wear three masks. There are some people who say, just wear one mask is fine. Some people are saying, you don't need to wear a mask. Some people are saying, everyone needs to get vaccinated. Some people are saying, you need a vaccine passport. Some people are saying, ban it at the government level, ban it at the private level. What is the conservative, sensible American way to approach this issue. So I think a vaccine passport is a terrible idea. And I have been yeah. vocal and outspoken saying the government shouldn't require it. It would be horrific if the government did it. And I don't think private businesses should. So I don't think airlines should. I don't think, uh, I, I don't think private businesses should. Um, I'm someone who believes in vaccines. I, I think vaccines are a good thing. Um, I've gotten the COVID vaccine. Heidi's gotten the vaccine. My parents have both gotten it. Heidi's parents have gotten it. Um, and, and I'm encouraging people to get it. I'd like to see as many people as possible get it. But I also believe in individual liberty. And if you don't want to get it, that's your choice. And, and there are some yeah. people who've got health issues for whom it may not make sense to get it. And so I think each person should evaluate whether it makes sense uh, in your circumstances. Um, but I, you know, I think the CDC is actually doing real damage with the arbitrariness of, of, of their, their rules. So, for example, even after people get vaccinated, they're still idiotically saying, oh, well, we're, wear masks here and there and everywhere. And, and it's like, well, wait a second. If we want people to get vaccinated, one of the best ways to do so is make clear once you get vaccinated, you can take the damn mask off. I mean, I mean that yeah. I, I think CDC is dragging their feet on that is very possibly disincentivizing millions of people from getting vaccines. And, you know, this week they put out the guidance of, okay, now you don't need to wear a mask when you're outside if you've been vaccinated. It's like, well, okay, only morons Thanks. were doing that. Like, like th th thank yeah. you. And, and like, do I need a mask when I'm taking a shower? Like, like you haven't clarified yeah. that point. Um, <laughs> oh, although, did you see, Michael, a track coach in Massachusetts was yeah. fired because he wouldn't make his kids wear masks while running cross-country track outside. He didn't want his students to collapse in the woods and fall fall down on a rock. It, 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 you know, there's so much of this mask stuff that is just petty totalitarianism. It is we can yeah. control you and we want to control you and that's what we're doing.
Well, the, the rules keep changing, but it's not really about the rules themselves, I find. It's about, as you say here, the imposition of the rule. Who gets to, to impose their will on others? I, I want to go back to something you said, though, that I think is extraordinarily important. On the question of the vaccine passport, a number of governors have been divided on this because a lot of it's taking place at the state level. Some are saying we will not have any mandates from the government on the vaccine passport. Others are saying we will not permit private businesses to force you to show your medical history when you come into the bar or when you try to go on an airline or something to that effect. Well, and, and you're seeing employers that are that are firing employees for not getting the vaccines, which I think is terrible. I, I think that that is deeply, deeply troubling and, 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 and shouldn't be allowed. This ties in with something that you published yesterday in the Wall Street Journal and you, you did not tell me that this was coming out. It's not like I got advance notice. I just saw the, the alert in the journal. And I basically stood up and cheered when I saw this op-ed because it's something that conservatives just don't get except for very few who are pretty rock-ribbed. You said that the era of conservatives shilling for private companies, corporations that hate our values and are opposing our country and are opposing even voter integrity measures, yep. that time is over. And you said that you will not accept corporate PAC money in your campaigns. So that's right. I mean, look, we've, we've all been watching the, the rise of the woke corporations and, and these big yep. businesses, these Fortune 500 companies where the CEOs have essentially decided they're going to be the political enforcers for the radical left. They're going to be the muscle for the Democratic Party. And we've seen, whether it's Coca-Cola or Delta Airlines, uh, demagoguing on, on the Georgia voter integrity law or, or companies de demagoguing on the Texas voter integrity law. Um, and obviously Major League Baseball yanking the all-star game out of Atlanta and and moving yeah. to Lily White Denver instead, which 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 <laughs> just totally beclowns it. Atlanta is fifty one percent black. Denver is nine percent black. So they are so racially woke that they're going to take a hundred million dollars out of the pockets of a bunch of African American small business owners and move it to a bunch of wealthy white people in Denver. Like it, it's weird. Also worth pointing out that Georgia, they left because of the voter integrity law. Colorado has relatively strict voter laws. It's, it's not a clear-cut issue over which, which has the more lenient voter laws. So the dynamic that's playing out in, in the, the Fortune 500, big business is not conservative. They are not our friends. Uh, yeah. Many of them are just risk-averse and scared, and, and the liberal mob comes after them. And they mobilize their employees, they mobilize their shareholders, they mobilize the press. And these CEOs are, are more than willing to just cave in and give the mob whatever they want. And, and it's really dangerous. Uh, and so what I announced this week is, is that I am no longer going to accept any corporate PAC checks, that, that corporate PACs, I won't take their money. And to give a sense of the magnitude of that, so I've been in the Senate nine years. Over those nine years, I've gotten about $2.6 million in campaign contributions from corporate PACs. Uh, now, I've raised well over $100 million during that time. And so that's not it's not the the lion's share of the money that I've raised, but it is, you know, $2.6 million dollars ain't nothing. Um, and I just decided enough is enough. If you guys are going to be yeah. actively fighting the American people, tearing down America, tearing down freedom, 
I don't want your stinking money. And, and, and I've yeah. called on other, other Republicans to do the same. And, and, and I think it's a powerful thing. And listen, you and I have talked about before, corporate welfare has always been garbage, and, and Republicans have been too willing to engage yeah. in that, where big companies come and say, give us a subsidy, give us corporate welfare, give us a mandate. And, and I've been fighting against that from day one. A lot of other Republicans get sucked in. So the Export-Import Bank, which, which serves as essentially a giant subsidy for Boeing, a massive yeah. corporate welfare scam. I've fought against the XM Bank for the entire time I've been in the Senate, but a whole lot of Republicans are eager to carry Boeing's water on that. Uh, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball has a unique uh, exemption from the antitrust laws that no other sports league has. And and so in response to moving the, the, the All-Star game, I joined with Mike Lee. We introduced legislation to revoke Major League Baseball's exemption from the antitrust laws. And, and, and I think these two should be tied together, which is no, no corporate welfare and no more money from big companies. And I think that if other Republicans follow suit, that will be a, a, a real improvement. I hear this all the time from conservatives writing in. I'm not talking about elected people. I'm not talking about Beltway staffers or anything, but just conservatives around the country. They say these Republicans are such shills. Even yep. the ones who will call out the woke corporations, they're totally in their pockets. They'll st still accept a lot of money. I think it is such a great move. It said such a strong message. And it, and it shows what we all know to be true, that there is nothing conservative about letting these giant woke corporations totally undermine the American way of life and that, uh, that you're not going to accept their, their money to do it. Well, big business gets in bed with big government. Big business likes yep. big government. Big business uses government regulations to crush their enemies, to crush their competition. I think we should be the party of the little guy. I think we should be the party of the entrepreneurs, of the disruptors. Uh, the, the giant companies don't need our help. And, and, and frankly, the policies they push for are almost uniformly terrible. Um, yep. You know, I was encouraged. So I put this op-ed out Thursday morning. And within a few hours, one of my colleagues, Josh Hawley, had already put out on Twitter that he was going to follow, follow my lead and likewise turn down corporate PACs. I think that's going to increase the pressure on a lot of other Republicans to, to go down the same road. And, and if that happens, that's a good thing. I love that. You know, there was a, a line in Joe Biden's speech, which was, it was totally regurgitated left-wing talking points where he said, you know, the 99% and the 1% and we've got to make the rich pay their fair share, even though they already pay virtually all of the taxes. And it was this classic class warfare sort of stuff. But then I, I remembered the rich and especially corporations voted for Biden donated yep. to Biden. <laughs> they, th that is th this idea that the Democrats are the party of the working man and the Republicans are these plutocrats with, with their fancy cigars. I mean, I might have the fancy cigars, but the idea that we're all rich Uncle Pennybags, it's just not what's going on in the parties. And, and I can say this, I've smoked multiple cigars with you. I've never once seen you use a $100 <laughs> bill to light it. And I think you're too cheap no, not, to do that, which is good. <laughs> I, I, I would advise against that. Um, Fiscal conservative. You know, look, you look at the Fortune 100. There are only a handful of CEOs in the Fortune 100 who could be remotely characterized as right of center. They're almost all Democrats. 
And, and, and that is the ethos of big business because big business does great under the Democrats. They're quite happy with, with, with this massive expand, expansion of spending and, and regulations and even taxes. The giant yeah. companies think if you tax everyone, you'll drive the little guys out of business and the big guys will be just fine. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's bad. Right. Of course, I, Barry Goldwater put it very well in Conscience of a Conservative. He said, conservatives need to w- make war on all monopolies. We need to make war on all unlimited power, all of this unchecked power. And anyway, I, I don't mean to lay it on too thick here, but I was just so pleased to see that op-ed. I hope that all the other Republicans feel the pressure. It's absolutely the right direction for the party. And, you know, we've got a lot of questions in from our wonderful listeners, uh, all of whom are, they're so great. They subscribe. They leave a five-star review on the Apple podcasts. They go to all the different platforms. So we really, really appreciate that. And we are not going to get to a single one of those mailbag questions right now because I want to spend most, if not all of our next episode on verdict getting to our listeners in the mailbag. So please be sure to send those questions in. And while you're at it, maybe you subscribe, maybe you leave a five-star review, maybe you send it around to your friends, and we will get into all of those questions ASAP. Senator, I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.